Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello, welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Welcome back if you've been before and welcome for the first time if this is your first time. I hope the start of your year is going well. Um, Once again, I'm recording this intro from the French Alps, uh, although the conversation I'm going to play today was actually recorded in London just before Christmas. Um, Yeah, uh, I am in the French Alps for the next few months, spending some time in the mountains, which is nice. And uh, I've just finished being a participant and helping out a bit with a mindful skiing retreat, which has been really nice. We've got uh, a, a lot of chance to go out in the mountains and ski and do some snowshoeing and also had some qigong sessions and some sessions uh, with a sort of chinese medicine and um i guess um, martial arts practitioner ben who uh he uh, led us through various processes to help us sort of ground ourselves but also help us connect with the various parts of our body which would be used when uh skiing and out and walking in the mountains so that was really nice it was uh, quite it was a nice relaxing chance to be with people be outside and learn some new things i do really like those sort of things like qigong um i remember if you listen to one of the earlier podcasts with max st john where i went down to cornwall and did some qigong with him it's something i really like and one at some point i'd like to build it into a more regular practice uh what else is happening oh last night i got hold of a copy of Positive News magazine. If you listened to the last episode, you'll know I uh, interviewed the... That was an interview with Lucy Purdy, the en- editor of Positive News magazine, which was a great interview. And also this issue of Positive News magazine fe- uh, features me uh, talking about Ministry of Change. And so that's really exciting. And yesterday I got my hands on a hard copy. It's not easy to pick up in France. So a friend came out and he brought me a copy. So that was really nice. If you haven't yet got a copy of Positive News this this quarter, then do go out and get it and you'll see my face on it and lots of other lovely people and amazing things. Um, anyway, so this uh, episode of the podcast, I went and met up with um, a guy called James Arnaldi. Um He's really great. I met him a couple of months ago on a mutual friend of ours, Canal Boat. Our friend lives on a canal boat and we were both visiting at the same time and we got chatting and it was really interesting to talk to him. And then he invited me to go and stay with him in London uh, a few weeks later, a few weekends later. And I went there and uh, we had this really good conversation. It's really interesting. James talks about this sort of, he terms it either spiritual awakening or psychotic episode or both, where for a period he believed he was Jesus. And it's really, really fascinating to talk to him about that and the process of sort of regrounding and rebecoming human. Um, and... While it's there, James also put on this amazing event. At um, he's part of this uh, non-religious church um, called New Unity in in um, in London, and it's really fascinating. He he invited me along there, so I went on the Sunday morning to that uh, that congregation, which was really interesting. And then the night before, he put on this event called "This Is Your Heart," and it was a sort of open mic event, but people were encouraged to bring along sort of poems spoken word performance uh that that sort of thing and really encouraged to do something 
maybe for the first time, something they hadn't done before. And so the whole evening was amazing. There were so many people um, sharing stuff and most people were doing something that they hadn't done before. I got up and I shared a poem and it was the first time I'd really stood up in front of a group of people and shared a poem. And it was really um, yeah, it was sort of empowering uh, and really exciting to do. And it's just such a vulnerable space with so many people sharing amazing things. And and um, yeah, I loved I loved it so much and I really wish there was more stuff like that in the world and I think there is more and more stuff like that in the world and that's a really positive thing. So anyway, in a minute I'll get on to just share the conversation that James and I had at his house in sort of late December, mid to late December 2018 and uh, just before that I would ask you if you do like these podcasts and please do rate and review them, that does really help me and also if you can offer any support I have a Patreon page and that's how I'm trying to fund this project to help me continue to um, create spaces to talk about mental health and navigating life and what it means to be human. So please do go on there and if you have anything that you can offer, then that is great. Um, and you get access to extra things like sort of transcripts, extra episodes, bonus features, that sort of thing. And I'm gradually building up that Patreon. So uh, that is wonderful and that's how I continue to do this. But if you're unable to do that, then that is totally fine. And just listen. That's really good. But if you can, then just think of it as enabling those people that can't afford to contribute financially to continue to listen to that. But really, listen, like, share. That's the most important thing. Anyway, for now, I am going to hand you over to myself and James to talk about what we talk about. So my name is James Arnoldi and uh, I'm a counsellor for children. So I've been I've been in that role for actually only for two and a half years. Originally I trained as a primary school teacher. And I live in North London and I my life changed at least from the interior um, in a big way about four years ago when I had what I felt was a spiritual awakening what I now still consider to be a spiritual awakening, but also a psychotic experience. Um, and that, yeah, that's where I really got into um, the whole agenda of mental health, but from a very personal perspective, and then later in my training to become a therapist for kids. Um, yeah, so that's why I was interested in talking to you about mental health and and having a conversation about that because it, it is part of my everyday life um, and it's an ongoing uh, it's an ongoing part of my growth really engaging with how I how um, how I am mentally how my well-being my mental well-being and how I do or do not um, help people in my world to um, to uh, yeah to be healthy in 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 their their own psychological makeup yeah and so I'm very interested by that yeah so um what can you tell me more about what you mean by the spiritual awakening slash psychotic episode yeah so I uh four years ago I'd just been <clears throat> I was just coming back from Japan after trying to go and find myself 
um, and not for really finding myself. I felt that it would be, with my Japanese heritage, my mother being Japanese, I um, felt like it was really important for me to spend some time out there. Um, <clears throat> did a Buddhist pilgrimage, worked on a biodynamic farm in northern Japan, spent some time just in the outskirts of Tokyo with family friends, learning Japanese, and all of that kind of left me feeling relatively numb which surprised me because I'd spent so much time traveling and felt found it incredibly enthralling and fulfilling but I think I'd got to a threshold point where what the, the real issues were <laughs> were inside and there's no matter of um no, no no amount of traveling that could could really help me except for highlighting the facts that I needed to address it, it, internal things um and so uh, my housemate at the time, still my housemate actually, he uh, emailed me and said, James, you've got to come on this family constellation retreat in uh, near Glastonbury this summer. It was about a month away and I just spent £800 whilst I was like sitting in the shadow of a temple on my Buddha's pilgrimage and just was very impulsively thinking I need to do this. Um, and went to the family constellation retreat a month later when I come back from Japan and and being the cynical person that I am, maybe less so now, but certainly then, I kind of approached it with a scathing, yeah, scathing cynicism, despite the fact that I was actually quite unhappy and depressed. So what is Family Constellations? Can you tell a bit more about that? Uh, it's a form of group therapy, which um, is founded on the... I guess you'd say belief that um, a lot of trauma is transgenerational and that even when you have trauma that you experience within your own life, that in some ways it can be transgenerational because you might be repeating patterns that your ancestors um, had in their own life. So, for example, you know, on the extreme level of things, um, if you have... Uh, multiple cases of, I mean, this is all theoretical, obviously, but um, if you had multiple cases of sexual abuse in the family, even if it wasn't your direct relatives, even if it wasn't like a father or mother or uncle or aunt, if it went back several generations, it could still have um, kind of an echo effect in your own life. And I, I think people would agree that obviously this can be true to some extent, but I think a lot of people, once you actually get, once you, once you actually get into a family constellation therapy um, workshop, it becomes much more um, esoteric, I guess, and uh, and potentially uncomfortable for some people um, because it's quite, um, yeah, it's a bit more of a uh, there's a mystical element to it, at least with the practitioner that I um, that I work with. So you're in a group setting, you, you, on a very practical level, you choose members of the group who you typically don't know to represent your immediate, your nuclear family, whether they're alive or dead. Even if you're adopted and you don't know your parents, you'd still select two people to, to represent your, your parents, even if you don't know their names. In my case, I have a brother and mother and father, all of them currently alive, and so I would select three people to represent them. You tell each person... Um, their kind of life story, but only any significant separations or trauma that they've experienced in their life. Nothing, not about like, you never loved me, that kind of thing, but just very much like, this is what happened to you at the age of three, this is what happened to you at the age of 15, and that's it. 
And by extension, you tell them the story of any trauma that happened with their ancestors, so fathers or mothers or grandparents coming off of them. And then you place them in the space. You have a room that you're working in. You place them in the space in a way that kind of metaphorically represents your relationship. Um, And then the therapist guides you, you through a process of introducing any other ancestors who might be relevant, in inverted commas, to the trauma that you might be dealing with. In my case, I just had a generalised depression, so I was kind of like... In fact, I was completely in denial, so I said, well, I don't have problems, I'm just doing this because I'm curious, and Hughes told me about this cool thing, and so I came at it from a place of like believing that I had no issues, and uh, despite the fact that I'd actually been quite depressed for a significant amount of time, and then everything unravelled within that space over the course of seven days and um, interestingly when I was working on my own family nothing happened and I kind of laughed it off as something that was just proved that I had no issues but when I started being chosen to be aborted children or uncles or rapists in other people's families suddenly I found myself like overwhelmed by these emotions that were completely unfamiliar to me mainly because I spent most of my life kind of suppressing my emotions. Um, Yeah, and in the course of one person's particular family constellation, um, I I, I had a massive breakdown, and um, which at the time I experienced as a kind of unleashing of pain and suffering within my body that I'd never experienced before, and that um, I guess on a... On a, from a spiritual side at the time I was thinking this is like a kind of enlightenment process because it allowed me it, I felt like it allowed me to connect to like the suffering of all beings um, and so I kind of went round, walked around for the next kind of month and a half, two months on cloud nine just feeling like I could connect to all of existence um, I was extremely ungrounded um, <clears throat> and in, in some ways I think I was I guess I'm just left with a sense of I don't know what really happened to me. I, 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 things have been pieced together in the four years since that event happening, but um, I'm left with a sense of awe um, at my experience. And I'm very happy to call it a psychotic experience, but I wouldn't want to um, box it within that as not being anything else. Um, and similarly, I think calling it a spiritual awakening... I also relate to it as that because I think it's allowed me to connect to um, people in a way that I wasn't able to connect to before. Um, but similarly, I, I wouldn't even necessarily want to just call it that. So what happens after those two months of walking around on cloud nine? Um, I mean, I so <laughs> practically speaking, because I'd just come back from Japan, I had I had the issue of like having to find a job and work. so I was working I found a job working in a school whilst I was doing teacher training and um, I found it incredibly depressing because I was working with what I saw as like angelic beings these little kind of year one kids who were just in their own state of awe and wonder at the world and I was having to kind of fulfill their math ta- math target requirements and that kind of thing in class and I just it was so at odds with my experience of the world in the previous couple of months um, so I just really struggled. I really struggled and I got very, very depressed. And and I also had, I think from a mental health perspective, I think the way I see it now is that 
yes, my experience was revealing of a certain kind of truth in the sense that it allowed me to get in touch with a certain reality that everyone suffers in some way, or if they don't suffer, that they're kind of, maybe it's a delayed suffering that will come at some point. Um, But because of my background, firstly, maybe of being a millennial and being maybe told in a, I know it's a stereotype for our generation, but being told like, you're going to go and conquer the world, you're going to do great things. And I I know not everyone gets told that. (laughs) But you know, certainly around my friendship group, that's a typical thing, and it kind of leads to a sense of um, entitlement. I think even if you don't get told that directly, I think that's sort of the message of, that we're sort of given around us, that's what we need to do. Right, right, exactly. And, and I think because that was the message that I received in one way or another, my experience was not enough to just be what it was. It kind of became a new form of narrative for me, whereby oh, I've experienced this incredible spiritual thing that happened to me and therefore that makes me the Messiah or that makes me whatever. You know, I mean, I literally I literally thought that I was like a kind of a born-again Jesus. Um, not that I would necessarily say that to people, um, but I definitely had massive bouts of grandiosity coupled with bouts of um, severe depression where... I just didn't want to live because it was just too painful to actually touch that reality of, oh, maybe I'm not Jesus or Krishna or whatever it was I thought I was at the time, you know? Maybe I'm just a normal human being um, who's just experienced something that is very difficult to understand. Um, and so that led me for about two years on this kind of up and downs of, of desperately trying, trying to grapple onto a sense of self-worth um, through being a good enlightened being um and yeah it was only through it was only through a really wonderful relationship with um my ex-girlfriend uh that I kind of came out of that effectively going into a relationship where um I could prop up my sense of being divine in some way and then both of us uh, and my girlfriend kind of believing in that in some way um and then us kind of crashing out of that together and and me just having that moment of being like looking around and being like oh i'm just i don't have to i'm not (laughs) whether or not i have a belief system that makes me think that all humans have some kind of intrinsic divinity like actually i do not have to be this special one um which i think i maybe that was the kind of message i'd received throughout my my years growing up from whether it's from society or or closer to home so what was that process like of changing your perception of being a like messiah to being a (laughs) being in in, what's that transition into that other state of being it was extremely rough it was like one of the most painful painful experiences of my life because my identity was tied i mean on before the psychotic experience my identity was already tied to being a good responsible elder brother you know that's just the way i and that wasn't even necessarily my parents i think that was just um it was just this sense of you've got to be there for others you've got to make sure you're there empathic listening to others like meeting the needs of others that was just the way i the way i grew up and and so the the jesus narrative tied in perfectly with that 
just this this kind of all loving being who's just wandering around through the world, kind of standing up for people and and and, and spouting truths which inspire people and that kind of thing. Um, and that reality was constantly challenged by the fact that I could barely hold down a job, um, and everything that was allowing me to exist in the world was just really rocky. And, and similarly, in my relationship at the time, I put my girlfriend at the time through through hell. <laughs> just, you know, I was very... Yeah, I can imagine uh, it must be demanding going out with Jesus. Exactly. Like, like Jesus isn't allowed to be jealous. Jesus, Jesus isn't allowed to be have, like, petty squabbles. So you just end up... I can only imagine that if you're in a relationship with with wannabe or not even wannabe Jesus because I knew I was Jesus in a sense. That's that's yeah. where the psychosis comes in, right? I knew I was this this yeah. ethereal being. That when you're in a relationship with someone like that, it's just there's very little room for vulnerability. Mm. Which is the kind of the crux of where I'm at now, which is much more like I need to just admit when I just have no clue about what's going on. So do you like with your um your experience, have you I imagine you must maybe you've looked into it or something is this like a relatively common thing i mean because what well, i'm just thinking that i know from my own experiences when i've been through something quite sort of um i guess like something similar like this it's like unraveling moments where you feel immense pain and suffering it's so easy to be to experience that as your as no one else has ever done this before, therefore start reading the things that you need to read into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how easy it is, because I've heard a few cases of people. Yeah, my, my sense is since like uh, finding myself in a much more stable place where I think I'm probably more connected to reality than before, to some extent. Um, yeah, I've, I've come across a number of cases. I mean, I know people who are going through or have been through similar things. Um, and it's interesting that a lot of them are kind of 30-something males. I find that really interesting. I find amongst... um, I don't think in our society women are brought up with quite the same level of adoration. I think, like, there's something about, like, post-war mothers. Uh, This is such a generalisation, but my sense is that males can often be idolised quite a lot by mothers and that that leads to a sense of grandiosity, whereas maybe that isn't so much the case with um, with women. Well, I, I feel like myself growing up, I remember feeling very much like I was... I was very special, but no one else realised it. Like, I, mm. I felt... I definitely, at points in my late teens and definitely 20s, and a lot of it coinciding with when I felt really depressed were those feelings that, like, I know that my value is so much more than anyone else realises it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess sure. there was an element of, like, this sort of, yeah, like, superiority complex, inferiority right. complex thing going on, which I now, through a lot of hard work and, I mean, a lot of exploration and a lot of just sort of going out into the world and exploring have, yeah, just been able to sort of pass through and see like a similar thing to you like I see a certain amount of there's goodness and yeah I guess divinity in all the people yeah but when you first realize that yourself right 
it, and it's interesting how that I think for, in my case my ego just latched onto it so yeah. so maybe maybe the experience of like divinity is potentially one of truth let's say if I'm if I'm just going to be spiritually or societally optimistic and just say everyone it has a divine core to them and then the trauma gets in the way of you doing kind of divine things um that that is that that may be a truth of sorts but then my ego in particular wants to be really special because it knows it's special so like how can i make this about me how can i make this divinity about the fact that i'm just that little bit more enlightened than everyone else and i've got something to teach the world you know and i think is a kind of narcissism that i see a lot in just my relationships with people and it, and it, it's two sides of a coin right you have the side of the coin that i came from which is i'm desperately clinging on to my like entitled sense of i'm really special and like i have something to say and then the other side of the coin being like i'm a piece of shit like i don't i'm not worth anything and and, and in a way it's a, just another form of narcissism narcissism whereby it's about us or it's about me and it's about how i'm crap or it's about how i'm great and when you actually stand back from it a bit it's just like well we're all just it's like we're, we're all just these beings like going through life and with a very because of our senses and our society we have this sense of i'm really at the center of my own world and that that can lead to some really severe issues with mental well-being certainly for me anyway i mean I'm, i consider myself damn lucky that i had the resources to go to therapy um to you know, have people who love me and cherish me and were patient enough to actually tolerate my um, grandiosity and delusion um, and who kind of helped me get through it. But loads of people don't have those resources and they kill themselves or or they just become very, very unwell and they don't have the resources to get out of the unwellness. So they just live in a state of depleted... Um, capacity to thrive and they don't thrive they kind of survive or get by and it's um saddening for me i feel really sad to see that yeah if you go back to that um so the family constellation stuff you did um like i thought when you were when you were talking about it, i felt it had in your voice like a degree of skepticism around it but then mm-hmm. would you say despite the consequences of what did happen, there was something there which needed to be unlocked in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I still do it. Yeah. I still, it's four years later, I still go to, I now only go once a year instead of like, uh, my kind of, after my initial experience, I went six times in a year. I was just addicted to any sense of transcendence. So I was like, I need to transcend this horrible, messed up world I live in and I would be doing that. Now I go once a year and it's wonderful is amazing and I and it doesn't matter so much to me I'm not such a rationalist anymore so it doesn't matter so much to me whether it is the truth or whether it is real or not I I I think at the very worst it gives people really helpful metaphors and myths to feel okay about living in the world so in, in the case of my family constellation therapy I feel so connected to my Japanese, Irish, Italian ancestry 
whether or not I'm really connected, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually not really that concerned about it because I just get up in the morning, and more times than less, I, I feel less like killing myself, which is kind of cool. I think that's kind of a cool thing to enable people to like. And I and I think we're so like rationally focused that we say, well, no, we have to. This this has to be connected to reason, and I'm just I'm becoming. To be honest, I've become more and more cynical of that sense of. It's not that I'm against CBT or anything like that. I think it's great and I think it functions very well for people. But I think it works within a framework where we have to be functioning, high-functioning individuals and productive. And 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 sometimes sometimes just having helpful metaphors is really important. It's, I think it's why religion has been so important throughout human history because whether or not a religion is right or wrong it helps people to get up in the morning and have a sense of worth and have a sense defines, of connection. Yeah, some sort of framework to structure life around, which exactly. I guess sometimes we've lost a bit mm. these days. Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I think we, we talked a lot before, we we met before, obviously, and before we did this, uh, around our own sort of, I don't know if you call it like a spiritual journey, but that, like, I, and my own perspective was very much the um, growing up from my early teens to my late twenties of being this very militant atheist and very much believing in the world mm-hmm. that it had to be provable and it had to be mm. basically visible for me to really give it any, um, any, any of my time. And I would just sort of think anyone else that thought anything different was ridiculous. Mm. And then over the last years that has changed to a point where I don't want to live in such a closed off mindset, a closed off world. And I don't believe that I have all the answers by any means. If anything, I think I might have no answers, Mm. (laughs) but, but that to me is a much more beautiful and magical world to exist in a world where you don't need certainties, but you can just see which bits are useful, which bits help. And yeah. And, and, be like that that it doesn't necessarily need to be you don't need to rationally explain something that can help if it helps something i see a lot of people doing stuff which i've done and it doesn't for me it doesn't really do anything but if it does for them then it's great and i'm sure i do loads of weird things which people just think why is he doing that yeah and you can easily if you get into a rational debate about it people can easily crush a lot of my ideas through science and fact but I know that experientially it works for me, so that's enough. Mm. Exactly, right? So it works for you experientially. And I think if we're not evangelising our truth um, and saying, well, you know, I do family constellation therapy, it works for me, so when are you going to sign up? Because until you sign up, I just can't look at you. (laughs) Like, as long as I'm not doing that... And my the actions that yeah my actions in the world are benign on others then why not you know I think also it's interesting using the word magic because that for me comes up all the time nowadays um, in a very uncynical way I feel that more than ever I so I turned thirty in April and I really felt like that was a turning point for me whereby. 
I feel more like a child than I've ever been because I feel like I have a curiosity and a desire for awe and wonder and magic more than ever, apart from maybe when I was actually a child. But that makes me be more adult because I think the way I define an adult is someone who takes responsibility for like being a caring, benign presence in the world. And if I'm truly cynical and if I do not believe in magic or whatever you want to call it, I don't... If I do not believe that I may be wrong or that I may um, have just not understood all the answers, then that makes me open to others. And I think that's a very, that, that's what I define as, you know, an adult, a mature adult is someone who can connect to the reality that they might not know everything. And I think we can often define adulthood more as, well, you find your truth, you find the truth, you find your path and you kind of on it and you fixate yourself around that and get all the accumulate all the knowledge you can so you can do whatever you do and then that's it that's being an adult but I find actually having this sense of awe and wonder and magic or whatever it might be defined to be is actually there's this paradox of it being childlike but with the adult qualities of um taking responsibility if you're in crap well that's really interesting I think I've talked uh quite a lot with people recently about this idea of innate wisdom and people having basically having access to innate wisdom but not really always knowing that and so for example like I've I guess in the last few years I've realized much more clearly that I can meet a 17 year old that just seems to have a much deeper understanding of the world than I do and equally I can meet a 70 year old who just seems to not have any wisdom at all yeah and i realize it's not that uh i mean it's nothing to do with age it's about how soon you can stop and listen and access that innate wisdom and i think uh yeah i I just find that really interesting it's something that came up a lot in my art therapy training uh when i was training to be a, a child therapist this notion of because i think we often think of therapy the stereotype of uh maybe a a psychoanalyst might be that you know you you lie down on the couch you tell me about your dreams and I'll tell you what that means about your mum or your relationship with your mum or whatever it is in which is a stereotype and I know that most psychoanalysts don't do that at all um but it's there for a reason because that's the kind of heritage that we that we have with regards to ther- old school therapy but in my art therapy training you know you you've got kids creating these images and they're not trying to create anything beautiful they're just like smearing paint on the paper because they're really angry with whatever's just happened or they're just creating these flowing colors of uh, colors because they're just feeling really sad or whatever's coming up and i find it really interesting the concept within art therapy that says that within the image that is effectively an image of your inner world there is wisdom that you can help the child access through simple questions and like you're saying simple listening and and questioning and that you're not imposing your theories upon the child you're just getting the child to communicate what they're feeling through paint or through sculpture or whatever it is and then helping them access insight that's already in them that's already there it's innate like you're saying it's innate wisdom and and actually because children tend to be slightly less conditioned than us they they can often access that with more ease than yeah that's sort of what i was leading to is that idea that i've talked to a couple of people on the podcast before around this and it's that idea of getting um 
like the, the older you get, the more your surroundings can start to influence you and they can seem like an object reality that you get more deeply involved in your sort of the beliefs of your social circles the the, the, the bubble the like the the, the sort of advertisements the the government your your family circles and you start to have less ability to access that wisdom because mm. the whole world around you is starting to tell you that things are a certain way and i think For children sure. have For a much sure. more free ability to access a different world to that and so I think a lot of the times why I find like when through my own experience of depression and speaking to a lot of other people about their sort of mental health experiences and awakenings of certain things it's it's those people that have had to basically look at the world and think well the world that I'm inhabiting in my head is fucked up Mm. and it's a reflection of my sort of perception of the external world so now maybe i need to do something and start being less dogmatic about my understanding of how the world works and going out and exploring and listening to other people's ideas of how the world works right i mean that's my that's definitely my personal experience but i think one that i've heard quite a lot from other people Mm. there's some there's something that just feels to me as uh incredibly stultifying and uh dead about just knowing the truth or just having that concept in your mind that you, that feeling of knowing for, for me when i was and i say when i was jesus not when i believed i was jesus because belief suggests that there might be some room for doubt i knew i was some kind of incarnation of jesus my life was so rigid like i couldn't i had to operate within a very strict framework my relationship with I mean, I don't know if you know much about how Jesus has sex, but, like, it's I, highly performative. I know nothing about how Jesus has sex. <laughs> it turns out that someone who knows their Jesus and who's also been brought up as a man in 21st century Western society, at least in my case, was just, like, obsessed with performance. So I'm a good... I'm a good spiritual whole person, so I have to be utterly giving to my lover and I have to be I have to make sure that like her coming is the only objective, for example. Um and which I've by the way, I've got nothing against um, you know, obviously giving pleasure to your partner, I think that's an amazing thing. But when it's so kind of rigidly codified within your sense of being, it just means that you become a kind of performative machine. I mean, I found myself to become a performative machine. I have a tendency to generalise, by the way, so you can, you can like, kind of call me out on that because I sometimes just say, you know, what Jesus does. But, you know, I'm, I'm saying that in jest in a way, but really it was from my, from my personal experience of knowing I was a divine being, there was um, no room for my own pleasure, actually. Um... And I remember one of my best female friends showing me um, a very feminist TED talk by a woman who advocates pleasure in women and says, like, you know, you women, you just you've just always been so fixated for good reason, because of society and conditioning, you've been fixated on pleasuring your partner and you've never thought about your own pleasure. I felt when I watched that video, I felt like she was talking to me. I like started crying when I was watching it because I just realized how fixated I'd been on being a good pleasure giving loving being who has no imperfections and like the most releasing thing at that time was you know a year after my initial psychotic experience crashing out of that paradigm 
with my girlfriend at the time and just realizing like being able to breathe for the first time is like oh wow I'm completely imperfect and it's amazing and there's a relief like a weight off my shoulders you know this kind of narcissistic trait of like feeling that I I was the embodiment of salvation for everyone around me which is an incredibly it's an incredibly well, pressurizing place to be in you know? it sounds exhausting yeah, yeah and, and exactly. I, I'm, quite, I'm quite interested actually because I, I mean this is just forming in my mind so I'm not sure how it's going to come out but like I am um, I guess I spend a lot of time talking to people about what it means to be human and how we can become more human and to me it sounds like maybe it's coming from like I often approaching it from people that like sort of don't realize their own humanity from a completely different way and it's like sort of learning to move into your body and into your experiences and into the world around you and to your internal life and external life this one seems I'm not sure how to put it but like it's learning to become human from the other extreme Mm. of being like I'm above humanity and now I need to learn to yeah. what it means to become it's like a human the negative, again. It's like the negative of, like a negative image in a photograph or something. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just an extreme of the same thing. Yeah. But, it, like, yeah, but that's, it does, it sounds very much this sort of journey of becoming human within that. Right. And, and when I, I so I, um, part of my healing process from that kind of, episode in that time was um finding a spiritual community that i could actually resonate with and ideologically and emotionally and it was a non-religious church in northeast london which i still go to and um and when i gave my first sermon there which the minister very kindly invited me to do it was about about the psychotic experience and this experience of knowing i was jesus but the title of it was Growing Into the Unknown, the sense of awe and magic and wonder that you talk about and that incredibly growthful place one can be in when we let go of of, of knowing everything or needing to know everything or thinking that we know everything, in my case. Um, yeah. And that's that's definitely something that I advocate for in my work that I do with kids and adults um, is trying to become more comfortable with not having all the answers and not knowing and therefore being open to connection and community and the things that we're so ready to maybe subconsciously reject um, because we're independent human beings who've found the truth and we know how to like live our own separate lives i was going to say i mean that your experience is is very that, that it does seem like an extreme experience but it does seem to bear quite a lot of resemblance to how i feel like a lot of people do live their lives thinking that they found the answer for sure maybe I, they're not i don't to be jesus but they're proclaiming to have the answers to life which is a absolutely I, I don't think that actually my experience well i think my experience may have been extreme in its form but I don't think it's original in any sense of the word. I, th- I think a lot of people live within a less extreme version of that. And actually, because it was so extreme, it allowed me to get out of it quicker. But I think a lot of people just live that 
less intensely, but on a very everyday level for years. So that's really interesting for me about the, a lot of the conversations I've been having around depression, especially because that's my main area of expertise from my own life. But that's like a very similar thing is, is that actually the more people I talk to that wouldn't even describe themselves as being having sort of depression, I feel like a lot of people put up with life. They put up with mm. a low level of misery and suffering enough and it's often the people which go to the extremes through some experience or another that have these uh opportunities or gifts yeah. or like yeah. or i don't know what the right terminology is but this this sort of this opportunity to actually address it and, and change the course of their life and move back to the path which is more uh, in line with their being and actually a lot of the people that don't experience those extremes, they will just never realise that there's a different option in a different way. So I think it's really powerful when people that do have those experiences can sort of um, share those stories to enable other people to see. I, I think you really hit on an important point there because I, I used earlier in the podcast, I used the word depressed to describe my state in Japan before I had this experience. I never would have said that at the time. I was numb and I was unaware of it. So, so for, ex- for example, up until two years ago, I had an addiction to running. That was my like go-to. So I would run three or four times a week, irrespective of whether I had knee pain, because it was just the thing I did to make myself feel okay with myself. Um, when I was in Japan, my in- most intense level of depression, I, 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 well, that's what I call it now, um, I was running every day. I was running every day, and I completely was ruining my body. <laughs> because I wasn't preparing properly it's not you know I know a lot of people run every day but they do a lot of kind of uh, stretching and lots of exercises to make sure that they're keeping their body healthy I was not doing that I was just compulsively running every day and um, I I would only use the term depression to describe where I was at then now um, because I didn't have the awareness to know that there was anything else apart from this kind of dull ache Um, yeah I can identify with that for sure that was my that was my adolescence, the dull ache. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that that feeling of not understanding that's not how life needs to be is something that it took me, yeah, and probably from about the age of fifteen to twenty seven or something to realise. And when I look back, I can easily retroactively be like, yeah, I was fucking depressed a lot of the time. I mean, I think someone that is not depressed doesn't spend probably a decade going out drinking and partying all the time and never sitting with themselves and allowing themselves to just be by themselves and to listen to their own experience. At the time, if you'd asked me, are you depressed? I'd have said, no, I'm having loads of fun. But I would have, there would definitely been a part of me that knew that I wasn't. So interesting. I mean, (laughs) just talking about this whole going out and partying thing, because I was a good golden child, I didn't really do the whole drug drink thing, unfortunately, uh, in a way. Um, yeah. But what I did do, like my personality personality type has actually started to change since doing therapy and stuff. Because I always said, I'm an extrovert. I'm so, I love spending time around people, being with people all the time. What I wasn't aware of was my absolute desolation, sense of desolation about being by myself on a Friday night. And nowadays, I find myself sometimes going out, sometimes 
like reveling in just being by myself for a whole evening and, and doing nothing whatsoever or just doing my tarot cards or whatever it is I like to do. Yeah. And um, I find that fascinating how we define ourselves and then actually sometimes looking back um, on past periods of time, we can realise that actually they were symptoms, they were symptomatic of something yeah. that wasn't necessarily wholly healthy. Um, I know I, I justified my addiction to running with the the knowing that running is good for you and the knowing that exercise is really important for human beings. But I didn't matter that I was ruining my knees. <laughs> I rationalised that away. Um, and just because I was, you know, I, I don't see I don't see going running every day compulsively as any different from getting absolutely plastered on any night of the week. But I within my paradigm it was a lot better and it was um it was um acceptable i guess it's a form of control over your emotional state of course in a way and uh yeah i guess you can be addicted to anything and yeah i mean arguably running every day may be better than i don't know like a heroin addiction but (laughs) it's still something which is uh Symptom. I can't even speak. A symptom of something deeper going on underneath. Yeah, it? and the same need where we're, where one is saying, "I am not okay with where I am right now," and therefore that is going to provide the solace that I need. Um, yeah, it's funny. It never really. The first thought never really seems to be to go on a long internal journey, does it? <laughs> because they're painful I know that extremely painful they're extremely painful yeah and they're the hardest ones to do but they are it seems to be ultimately they are the only way to do it yeah well maybe that's prescriptive maybe for someone uh it's not maybe yeah taking ketamine in a club is their route to enlightenment yeah (laughs) I don't know from my experience I think enlightenment's kind of overrated anyway yeah um I um (laughs) Sounds like <laughs> <laughs> that makes me sound like I actually was enlightened at some point, which I wasn't. But um, I'm also I'm also interested by this notion of depression because I would say that I still have depressive moments currently, but I'm much more connected to either feeling joy or despair. Like I don't think I ever felt despair when I was depressed in a weird way. Like I felt this kind of numbness. Nowadays, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I genuinely felt feel despair, and I'm like, "Oh, life is so painful," but I'm feeling pain, <laughs> which is like yeah. kind of better somehow than feeling depressed. And and then other times I'm just feeling abundant joy or somewhere in between the two or whatever. But it's just a much. It's, it feels like my blinkers are off, and I'm able to get a much wider range of experience i think that's a really valid point because i mean i think there was a point where i would have defined myself to the depression and it and now i no longer would but that's not to say that it's gone like i still have days and weeks where i feel quite what i would describe as depressed and also and definitely days and weeks where i feel anxious but yeah they they are much more on a spectrum of emotion now it's not it is that i can experience the highs and the lows and the middle points and understand them and see them for what they are mm-hmm. rather than sort of yeah i mean it's true a lot of not always but a lot of the time when i was depressed it was just this real inability to feel anything to connect with anyone 
even like sometimes like the very act of like being touched would sort of repulse me by people because I just felt like so like I'm just upset that I can't access emotions like they've gone and yeah yeah, just that ability to be able to feel anything (laughs) is is important I think and uh, it's easy to lose sight of those things so I'm really happy to say that I've started skateboarding yeah Um, and that's a very that's something that my previous Jesus self would never have done because um, I'm really bad at it and um, it's also it doesn't really help people in any way and it's not really serving others and I think this is one of the first times in my life where I've done something where it's just because it's sheer pleasure and also I'm really bad at it so I have this sense of like being reduced to nothingness when I'm at like Finsbury Park Skate Park and I've got all these kids like 12 year olds who are just amazing at skating and um, I'm just there trying to go down a tiny slope and then stacking it and um, I want more of that in my life and I'd really want more of that in the lives of the people I come into contact with because I just think it's such a refreshing thing to be able to do something for pleasure which is benign to others, but which is really just to enjoy your life and that you don't always have to be, and I'm not advocating people not helping each other at all, but just that for someone who might resonate with the way I've lived my life in the past, that it's just great to be able to do something and not take yourself too seriously and just to be like this is really fun this is great and it's okay that I'm doing it because I'm not harming others and yeah so I'm hoping to get more of that into my life you know more skateboarding and more tarot for myself as well as for others and yeah that's really where I'm at thank you very much to James for sharing that it's really interesting I think it's really important to hear stories like that and hear just all the different stories that are contained within us like it's easy to walk down the street and just think that everyone is having the same experience as you or think that your experience is so wildly different from anyone else's experience everyone else is sort of living like quotation normal lives and you're not and so it's really important to i think hear all the multifaceted things which happen to us and all the different experiences we have and i think it's really that's really powerful it's really opens up a whole world of possibilities so i think just anyone that's able to be at that place where they can share their story and really be vulnerable i think that's a powerful powerful thing that we can do to create this sort of um understanding that there is no normal there's no one way we need to be and there's no one human experience that is the right experience or that we all necessarily share but it's in that diversity and in that difference that we can find those common grounds and i i just really really believe in the power of sharing these stories and uh listening to the the, how to how people navigate them again there's not one route to navigate these things change comes into our lives when we least expect it and it's not a question of avoiding change and trying to keep things that they are it's a question of how do we navigate those things and it's it's an important investigation to sort of continue to explore those ideas of how to navigate the changes that occur and so anyway thank you very much james if you do if you are in london uh go and check out the 
New Unity non-religious church we talked about in there briefly in uh, in East London. It's really, really interesting place. It's a lovely community and I felt really uh, privileged and honoured to be invited along there and I'll definitely try and make it back there again. And uh, yeah, I loved that. So again, thank you very much for tuning in um, and yeah, please do like and share. Again, please if you're able to support my patreon thank then that is wonderful and for all those people that are already thank you so much uh it might not be a lot but it really really helps me to to do this and um yeah that's great so yeah thank you once again uh i try not to be too pushy about that sort of support but like it does help me i don't make any money apart from that with ministry of change at the moment uh so i'm trying to get to a point where this can be self-sustaining and that's with your help so thank you very much and please do like share go back and listen to some of the other amazing episodes we had last year and i look forward to sharing more over the coming year and for you to come along on the journey as ministry of change evolves and develops and reaches new places so thank you very much enjoy the rest of your day and i'll see you back here soon goodbye